Hello everyone and welcome to a very special edition of Brainwaves. I'm Ian McAllister and I am joined by Ian Chandler but not Jamie tonight. How are you doing Ian? Uh, pretty well actually. I have both Iron Brew and Tenants so I have all the drinks. I'm sorted. Mixing them together as is traditional in Scotland. <laughs> I did that once actually and it was a wonderful hangover cure. Anyway, moving swiftly on, in the dim and distant past of the Brainwaves podcast, episode 7 to be precise, we covered the end of a game that was beloved to myself, Android Netrunner. Resurrected from the ashes of its collectible card game past, it became a living card game for Fancy Flight Games. Android Netrunner was an asymmetric game set in a cyberpunk world. One player took on the role of a mighty corporation, one player took on the role of a mighty corporation, advancing their nefarious agendas for the betterment of mankind, whilst the other took on the mantle of a runner diving into the net to steal the information the corporations jealously hide. I loved it, I ran tournaments for it, and I helped people to get into the game, and I was very sad to see it end, as were its legions of fans around the world. I got a core a very long time previously, and Netrunner being cancelled was the signal fire from my brain that something just kicked in, and genuinely about two weeks later I found myself with an eBay second-hand horde of cards and have been obsessed with it ever since. So much so that I've made a Twitter bot that makes new Netrunner cards every day and most of them are useless. And I also help out at the R Netrunner subreddit. So, although Netrunner had been dropped by the companies behind it, all was not lost for those who loved the game like us. A group of fans came together to form Project Nisei, a fan-run continuation of the game. They've been responsible for keeping the game alive in the last couple of years, producing new card sets, running tournaments, and keeping the community ticking. It is our great pleasure to welcome some of the Project Nisei team to the cast. We're joined by Serenity, Community Manager, and Johnny, the Design Lead. Welcome both to the show! Hi! Hey there! Hello! If we could start by you two telling us a bit about yourselves, how you became involved with Project Nisei, and what your role entails. Um, if Serenity, if you want to take that away. Yeah, sure, no problem. So I'm Serenity, I'm in the UK, and my day, my day job is I work in IT, but I've been playing Netrunner way, way back since the uh, ONR days, when it was the standard argument-solving method in, the, in a flat a house that I had with some friends. <laughs> really? Yeah, we would we would even start get people would gamble on them like if if this wow. person wins I'll go and I'll make the next round of toast kind of thing. Oh, that's classic, classic student accommodation <laughs> um, pastime really. And then when the new one came out, I conveniently lived near one of the people that I'd been to uni with. We'd both moved away from uni back home, but we'd lived near each other, so we started getting together to play. Bought booster pack after booster pack data pack after data pack in a kind of an arms race before we both realized we had the whole lot and then we went to a tournament both of us got soundly whooped but like we were addicted from that point on that was i think our first event was 2016 uh, nationals and then when the game got cancelled I, I i was devastated it was like losing a friend because the game would go and go into tournaments and stuff had got me through a, a divorce and all the subsequent downside after that so i was quite guided and i was like i don't really want this to end no what can we do to keep it going and then when they announced that nisei was starting and they started advertising for board members uh, i because of my history of uh, doing moderation and community management in it as well as some marketing stuff i used to do a lot of like marketing panels and some public speaking on that 
subject. So um, I thought, well, I'll put myself forward. If uh, there's anyone better than me out there, great. If not, I'll do my best and see what we can do. And I got picked. We set up all of our stuff and started recruiting and somehow we uh, here we are. Still feels a little bit unreal, to be honest. I've heard a lot of people say that the, end, the game ending was genuinely a, a real hit, like a real blow to them emotionally because of this yeah. great community around it. And it seems like such a tight-knit community. Yeah, I was at work and my boss was like, you were right. I'm just like, no, Netrunner's just been cancelled. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> He's like, oh, okay. And uh, he, he got it. He understood why I was um, so upset and, and was quite understanding about it. But I don't think the patience lasted the full five days it took it for, to really sink in. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know a lot of yeah. folks got the, the sort of the link symbol from the game as a tattoo to... Or, or some sort of Netrunner tattoo to sort of like commemorate the game and and their connection to it. I know a few of the local players got that done. Yeah, I have that that tattoo behind my ear. Fantastic, brilliant. Johnny, what about your involvement with the game? How did you get How did you get in there? So I'm Johnny. The early days for me of Netrunner was around there was an expansion I believe called Data and Destiny that had just come out. So I actually was a latecomer to the game. I think relative to a lot of people who play the game. I had just moved to the Bay Area of California a few months prior uh, to sort of begin my career as a professional game designer, uh, working on a game called Duelist, which is another game that's near and dear to my heart. And uh, I was actually just on Twitch and I came across the live stream. Like Fantasy Flight Games was on my radar as a tabletop gamer. And I think I either was on Twitch and it came across it or somebody linked me to it. And it's like, this is the Fantasy Flight Worlds thing. And for, I think, at least a decade of my life, I had played Magic the Gathering competitively. So uh, I'm always interested in new games. I was designing a card game for my paycheck. I played card games since I was a very small child. And I mean, even like Pokemon and Yu-Gi-Oh and things. So card games have just kind of always been in my blood. And then, you know, when I saw Netrunner, the way I can describe it is... I understood nothing of what was going on because Netrunner is such a unique game. It has a lot of jargon. It has a lot of interesting ways that people have come to describe various interactions that occur within the game. Uh, you know, they're just talking about credits and credits and clicks and runs and stealing and scoring. And I just couldn't process what any of it meant. The only thing I knew is that it was really, really cool. And... <laughs> That it was like, I was like, what is this game? It's so weird and cool sounding and everybody playing it seems so excited about it. And like, I could just kind of feel the energy from watching. And I believe it was Dave Hoyland versus Timmy Wong was the match that was on live stream. Ah, oh, right. Wow. Oh, yeah. Cool. Yeah. Which I think, interestingly, went on, went on to be one of the most famous matches in all of Netrunner. Like in the history of the pantheon of famous streamed matches. That's like one of the big ones. Definitely. Yeah, absolutely. So I just do what I do, which is uh, scoped out a used collection. I just bought the whole thing. Games of Berkeley was a local game store. It was only a mile from my house. And I just went and said, okay, I've played two games on Jinteki with a Swedish person who offered to teach me the rules over Skype. <laughs> and, <laughs> wow, that's a way to learn. Uh, yeah. I don't really know how to play this game, but I built some decks and I played. And then as I was sort of getting my collection, a local player who actually ended up uh, working with Nisei as well, Izzy, they had lent me some cards so I could play like RP and Kate, which were a couple of the decks that I thought were really cool. 
And yeah, and I, I kept playing the game quite seriously. Eventually, I went on to win the U.S. National Championship in Netrunner, uh, which was a very proud moment for me because I had spent 10 years of my life competing in Magic and never really made anything of myself in that game. And it was, uh, I mean, I, I just cried straight up because you spend 10 years of your life trying to win tournaments and never win one. And then you finally win one. It's like a very big moment. So yeah, I can um, imagine. Yeah. So when Netrunner got canceled, um, I kind of knew it was coming. I was part of like the sort of playtester group. I suspected just what I know about game development that given the actions, like the sort of rumbling that it was going to get canceled. So I transitioned basically full-time to playing poker. Uh, as the main thing I would make main card game hobby and my reasoning for playing poker was that nobody can cancel it <laughs> true <laughs> yeah. quite quite uh, hard to cancel a game that old yeah. <laughs> like cancelling chess yeah it's like no company can just will chess out of existence the same way that it felt like yeah. so many of the games I've loved throughout my entire life Warcraft 3 or you know, yeah. StarCraft, Ma even Magic's changed so much. It's such a different game than it was 10 years ago. So I felt like I was so frustrated and numb to things I love being taken away by corporations that I just wanted to play something and invest in something that had more permanence. But so given my own personal politics and the way I feel about things, I, I was around a year into Nisei's existence. They were looking for a lead designer that I applied, basically under the rationale that Nisei had done what something very incredible to me, which is they just said no to what a corporation said and decided to do it anyway. And in that sense, I always say that the runners won, which is <laughs> what I quite love about Nisei. And uh, I decided I'd put my money where my mouth is and sort of volunteer my skill in that way. Cool. Brilliant. Um, just before we go on to the next question, you both mentioned like game nights and the community. And um, that's one thing I never got into. And I'm so gutted to have missed and this year was going to be the big year. I was like, right, I am going to put myself out there, go to some local game nights. And if they're not there, I'm going to start some Nisei nights. And then, of course, that has <laughs> not <laughs> absolutely so much. not happened. Yep. Yeah, pesky um, global pandemic. Yeah, yeah indeed. it just sounds like the like the weekly game nights you used to find at game stores for Netrunner were just like genuinely friendly places to be rather than the kind of weird spaces that Yu-Gi-Oh! or Magic, that kind of stuff are. I ran one at uh, Tabletop Cafe in Edinburgh, um, which is sadly no more. But um, it was specifically a beginner's night, so I ran like the one 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 format and things like that, so to get people into the game and sort of run beginner stuff. And that was really good fun. That we always had we we always had really good games, really good tournaments, and yeah, it was it was great fun. It, yeah, it was it was a big part of my life for a while as well. Yeah, it sounds it just sounds lovely. Whole thing. Yeah, unfortunately, that's something that I've never really had. The town I live in has no game store, and being a parent, like it's quite difficult to me. For me, especially a single parent, it's quite difficult for me to get away midweek when most of the game night kit events have. So this is why I I love store champs. It's my my favourite time of the year because there are so many events I can go and see my friends at in a very short amount of time. Like pretty much. You can guarantee the entire store champ season will be me driving to a different town every weekend to play Netrunner. <laughs> <laughs> That's lovely. Yeah, it is great. So, how? let's go on to Project Nisei itself. How big is the Project Nisei team, and what kind of roles do other people play in it? So, at the moment, we have... Let me have a quick look. I think it's 56 people 
Whoa. Oh my goodness. Okay, I thought you were much smaller than that. <laughs> oh, no, we're actually up wow. to 60 now. 60 people. Wow. There's a, there's a couple of people who have, have left and still hang around because they're kind of part of the family. So sure. let, let's call it 58. Okay. Um, <laughs> goodness. But the, the advantage of being a volunteer organization is if we, if we go, oh my God, this thing is like really stressing me out. We can go, all right, let's recruit for it. We don't have anyone, like we shouldn't have anyone doing kind of full-time hours on something. So if something would otherwise require full-time hours, get three or four people in to do it and, and get everyone to just put like a couple of hours every other night aside. And that's generally worked quite well. I mean, as we all know, no one who is employed full-time actually does work from like <laughs> nine till six. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Wow. So, uh, yeah, so it's quite easy. We just like I, I had an issue where I was struggling to manage the article timeline as well as do like my overseeing community thing and like keep on top of everything else as well. So it's like okay, we'll just advertise for a media pipeline coordinator. Uh, put up a role description. Boom, advertise for it. We haven't yet had anything we've advertised for. Not have anyone apply for. I don't think we've always had a good candidate. And because people love the game, they're happy to put their time in. Right. Is there a sort of core team that sort of keep things ticking, or is it is it very spread out amongst the amongst those people? Uh, so you've got you've got eight board members, who are like are in charge of a department each. We've got seven departments plus our president, and then each team has like a set focus that they they divvy up the tasks between. Some of them are like more specific, like organized play have like someone in charge of europe someone in charge of the us someone in charge of the rest of the world someone in charge of online play but that's kind of because they have to because it yeah. involves distributing store kits and stuff like that but uh, at the same time you've got like the edi team um who can just go oh yeah i can i've got i can get on that and, and do that role cool brilliant that is such a fascinating structure for a and it, it makes sense. It it makes so much sense that it seems like that's just not something Fancy Flight could have ever done. And it's fantastic to see it just coming to life. Sorry, I'm just I'm just rambling. Yeah. It, it does it does sound a little corporate. Maybe there's like hidden agendas in there that you want to see. <laughs> <laughs> I will say though the one thing, despite the fact that uh, Nisei has a board, like a board of directors, if you will, for because we're a nonprofit. The yeah. um, the sort of fascinating thing about it, to me at least, is that the organization overall runs fairly, I think when we're at our best at least, non-hierarchically, which is to say, if people within the org are excited about something, that can happen. And the board member's job isn't really to get in the way of that. It's just like sort of try and enable people to do the best things that they want. You know, people from, you know, I'm the design lead. People from other teams will come to me with card concepts or even people on Twitter will just say, hey, can you make this a card? And if, if I think it's something cool that we could do, I'll throw it in a file and see if it fits somewhere, you know? So there is a sort of uh, there is a sort of what I call a duocracy uh, within everything, which is that if people are excited and passionate about something within Nisei, because we're a volunteer organization, there's no like approval process most of the time. It's like you should start working on that if that's if you're excited about it, you know? So I think that does really well. It's like a very highly collaborative environment, which is really nice. Yeah, cool. Brilliant. Yeah, I mean, the main thing that for the board members is we've all got our names on the 
the AOI form. I can't remember what it stands for. I've signed something at one point that meant that we were a proper organization and could apply for non-profit status. Oh, right. Wow. Yeah, that was a a bit of a pain because it's something that not a lot of us have, like, none of us have ever applied for non-profit status before. <laughs> so, <laughs> Luckily, Zach, Zach managed to figure it out along with some legal help. So, Randy, for you, have there been any, what were the sort of greatest challenges in keeping that worldwide community going? Because obviously it's it's split across the entire world, like you were, like you were saying earlier, with organized play all over the place. Have there been, what's the sort of been the biggest roadblocks to sort of keeping that community together and going? So, I mean, externally, our biggest problem was when we first went, first started, and obviously I'm writing all of these articles and I'm putting them up going, okay, here's our plans, this is what we're doing. And like, there was a lot of people coming back going, you haven't done anything yet, come on, like, we're not going to support you until you start doing things. Oh, a bit of a catch-22. <laughs> yeah. Uh, then like the Q1 2019 gnk kits came out and everyone saw the titan play map i was like oh that's really pretty <laughs> i want one of them uh, so that brought us a bit of grace and then when uh downfall came out everyone was like okay right these are actually cards they're like the art is pretty the cards are you know some are, some are good some are not quite as good but you know that, they look like always, a product that they look like an produced. actual yeah they're an yeah. actual card um yeah. so at that point like i the um a lot of the negativity just dropped off internally i think our biggest problem is just time zones yeah um mm. so there's been some situations where i've been like involved in uh, like a three-way conversation where we have someone who is in new zealand someone who is in the uk and someone who's on the west coast us so there is no point at which we're all awake <laughs> wow <laughs> yep so although say i say that David, our um, lead developer, is very good at agreeing to get up at five o'clock in the morning to join Discord. Horrendous! (laughs) He's an absolute super trooper. A lot of commitment. Yeah, Yeah, I couldn't do. I couldn't do that. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. That card release was what absolutely sold me on Project SA. Seeing those, just the general level of quality, it was like Fantasy Flight Games couldn't have put out. A better and have genuinely put out worse card releases for Netrunner than Downfall. Yeah, so I didn't, I didn't let myself see anything before I started organising spoiler season because I didn't want to get confused about what the cards were. I didn't want to start organising stuff and then find that the cards were going to change. So my rule is that I don't look at anything until it's been signed off by, well, ideally created wow. as done. Um, so I was looking at these cards writing the articles and going, "Oh my god!" Yeah. <laughs> it, it is, seriously, is this like Goodness. this us? That is a level of restraint that is incredible. I think if I joined Project, yeah, yeah, it's very hard. The first thing I would do as a member of Project Missy would be like, "So let's see the spreadsheet. Let's see all the cool new stuff." Thank goodness. Yeah, I, I have looked. I did look at Uprising a couple of weeks earlier yeah. than Downfall. Because I wanted to start planning spoiler season a little bit earlier, and this time, but for the for the next release, I'm going to start looking at it as soon as Dev have signed off. So that way, I can start reaching out to um, content creators and going, "Hey, you um, do you want to do a spoiler for us?" Um, it's because it's much easier for us to kind of tie cards into groups if I see them with enough warning. 
I learned my lesson the first time. It's too much to do in a day. <laughs> yeah, or two. goodness, that's a lot to just digest, really. Wow. Um, so over to Johnny. How have you found the game has evolved since the cancellation back from Fantasy Flight Games? That's a super interesting question to me. I think um, Ashes as a product, which by the way was the lead designer of that was Gregory Tung, and a lot of the sort of existing designers. Uh, and developers worked on that project it was sort of before my time. The stuff I'm working on is yet to be released, though it is announced, which I'm sure we'll talk a little bit about later. So Ashes was very much a love letter to what was already great about Netrunner. And the best thing about that is that that's how you build trust with your community and with people who play Netrunner, right? Is to show that the people who are making Netrunner content now, the game's in good hands. We love it for similar reasons that you know, anybody else may love the game. And sort of Ashes as a whole, I felt was very much a riff on uh, all of the FFG content that had come out until that point, which is great. Uh, I think that was basically the best possible move that Nisei could have made as an organization. And I think it came out of a very authentic, loving place for the game. So I view Ashes as very much a sort of continuation of the legacy of Netrunner, at least from a game design perspective, it's very traditional. It fits within the boundaries that are like sort of well-established already by uh, the game. Personally, a lot of what we're doing now internally is trying to figure out what ways has Netrunner not been looked at from the design perspective? What mechanics in Netrunner work that are uh, that we've been or had for a long time? One of them is Psy Games. Uh, that's a mechanic that's been around for a long time, and mostly people really like that mechanic. Uh, some people don't enjoy randomness that much, uh, or at least the particular kind of randomness that mechanic offers, but a lot of people really do, and it's a mechanic that's come to be synonymous with Jinteki, one of the main corporations in the Netrunner world. Could you describe side games a little bit, Johnny, just for anyone who's listening to this cast who's not like played a lot of Netrunner? Can you describe how they work briefly? Yeah, so a side game is a blind bid with you and your opponent, you bid an amount of money, credits in the Netrunner world, and the credits you bid go away. If the runner bids the same amount of credits as the corporation bids, that's good for the runner. If you bid a different amount, it's good for the corp. But the idea is it's sort of like an, a little bit of a secret economic bidding war, a bit of a mind game, if you will, between you and your opponent. Jinteki uh, is sort of in the lore of Netrunner, uh, the fat, the corporation faction about producing like psychic clones and stuff. So it sort of very much fits with them. And it's a beloved mechanic overall. So, you know, things like that, that we find uh, in the game that are so entrenched with like, they're sort of vanilla. They're almost vanilla, if you will, at this point, they're like core to what makes Netrunner a great game, trying to establish those uh, both in the different faction themes. And then also ask, what sorts of things can we do in terms of new mechanics that are really going to change how people view sort of like the typical interactions that they've had in Netrunner over the last seven or eight years within the game space. So uh, as you can probably tell, I'm talking about it in the vaguest terms <laughs> possible because I don't yeah. want to spoil anything that we're working on. <laughs> um, but I will say that from, from an internal evolution perspective, from the mechanical side, the content coming out after Gateway, I can promise is going to be offering a lot of really new mechanical ideas to Netrunner that we haven't seen yet expressed. And I think evolving, like Netrunner is one of those games where the core game rules are so robust and interesting 
that you don't have to do a lot to add some spice to it. Um, sure. You know, a lot of other games, Hearthstone, Magic the Gathering, Yu-Gi-Oh, Pokemon, etc. The actual base game is like fairly limited. Um, the sorts of like things that happen in the game don't have a very robust decision space. But just the sort of the basic action cards of Netrunner plus the sort of like minutia of just making a run on a server have a lot of natural skill testing and sort of interesting mechanics within them. So the sorts of things you need to layer on top of that don't need to be quite as dramatic as something like you might need in another card game because of how like nuanced the base rules of Netrunner already are. So from my perspective, it's about finding things that really work for Netrunner, but also change a little bit how you think about some of the things you've been doing for years and years within the game. So it's a difficult challenge. Fortunately, the design team at uh, Nisei is pretty great and supportive. And, you know, we have a lot of sort of internal jam sessions where we're just like designing new stuff. People from outside in the community are often sending me cards via email or Twitter or on Slack or wherever and saying, hey, I had this idea for a mechanic or I had this idea for an ID or whatever. And they will send those to me. And like, that's also valuable fuel to like see what sorts of things the community is interested in as well. So overall, um, that's the mechanical side. The other side is that our one of our new products coming out and sort of our products going forward is really focusing the game around being accessible to people, uh, which means finding a way for Netrunner to like, basically the, the way I describe it is like the wall of text card is a thing in a card game. And that's basically yeah. where you pick up the card and there's like two paragraphs of text to like do a very simple thing. And we're trying to, within the design team, do away with that and try and make cards read a little bit more elegantly and simply. And of course, always the challenge of game design is uh, complexity to depth ratio is what I call it, which is really what you want all the time in every game is you want the game to be as uncomplicated as possible, but as robust and deep as possible within that sort of lack of complexity. Yeah, so, great. A lot of what we're doing now in Nisei is reframing the design of the game around that lens. Like, where can we cut complexity out and where can we find depth and that sort of elegance? So, doing that kind of thing as well. Cool. Yeah, I mean, uh, Fancy Flight are not exactly known for their elegance in words on cards. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> much, I mean, much, much as I love them yeah. and I love some of their games, they are sometimes quite bad at words on cards. Yeah, and I think a lot of that is, um, you know, I don't. I've known a lot of people who worked at Fantasy Flight. Actually, one of my my mentor in the game industry was Eric Lang. Uh, he was my boss oh, right. for the first two or three years of my career, and is still a resource if I have like a question. Wow. I sometimes hit him up, but he's a really nice guy, fantastic mentor, fantastic designer. He's designed some of my favorite games of all time. Blood Rage is my favorite game of all time, which is a lovely board game. So you know, one of the the sort of early things like learning from him is just sort of like. Uh, we're all like fantasy flight games. I think they have a lot of junior designers and they have a lot of churn within their organization. So I think that can lead to a lot of, um, you know, just a lot of people who are, who design a card game and it's more or less their first or second game. Like, so you like this sort of like, it hasn't quite, when you're new at game design, it hasn't really been beaten into your skull yet that you need to not make things complicated. That simplicity is like yeah. your best friend. So I actually think you see a lot of that at Fantasy Flight Games, uh, just because so much of their design staff seems to be relatively junior. So I think that would be my that would be my suspicion as well. Interesting thought. 
Okay, so um, turn away from your individual roles, um, sort of the wider game. I've kind of dabbled a little bit in the new stuff. Ian's taken me through some of the the core stuff from 2019. We've played some games on Jinteki. But consider me just a returning player or a completely new player. How do I get a handle on where Netrunner is right now? How do I get involved? What's the sort of best entry back into playing the game right now? That's a complicated <laughs> question to answer because a lot of it depends on like when you dropped out. Uh, I dropped out just before I didn't get the final big box. So in in your case, it's, it's fairly simple to get back up to speed. You can you can get uh, ashes from our NPC or DTC store, and there are old art versions of Rain and Reverie that people have done. Sorry, well, I'll just go back there a little bit. Uh, that's making playing cards and drive through cards, right? NPC, Correct. And DTC. Yes, NPC, yeah. indeed. Yeah, and and there's a Rain and Reverie, which was the last big box, which was really hard to get, even for yeah, people who were yeah. actively playing at the time, because um, there was never a second printing of it. Even th- like that is available as an old art set. Someone oh, great. in the artist colony community have uh, has, has done the whole box by themselves. Um, wow, it's, it's really good work as well. So, getting back up to speed from that kind of point of view is, is fairly easy. From someone who disappeared. A couple of years before the end, that's when it starts getting a bit more complicated because the cards they're missing are the cards that are sometimes hard to get and they're not going to be rotated anytime soon. Sure. So in that case, it's a question of, you know, way up. If you can find someone who's selling a full set on the cheap, great. If not, keep an eye out. I mean, there's if, if people say, I'm missing this data pack up on the subreddit, there's generally people go, oh, I've seen that in my local game store. I know I my, was in my local game store at one point. They had some packs left, so I just put a post up on Reddit going, all right, who needs this? Send me the money. I'll post them out to you. Um, and that, so that did that did a favor for both the, the guy who owns the game store and everyone who was missing those data packs. If I just sort of want to play with just the new stuff, is there is there a format that I can play in that? In that? You don't tend to get so many games that are just playing with like the core set and the new stuff. I mean, on Jinteki, if you can find someone to play against you, you can play any format you like. There are people um, doing that because there are there's a new player Discord Green Level Clearance, uh, which I will chuck you a link to put in the show notes. So, like, people have gone in there with I've, with no cards and no experience playing the game, and they're constantly running tournaments in there, or with like new player formats in mind. So, so that's a really good place to to go from a new or returning player point of view, because that would ease you back into the card pool again. For someone who is completely new to Netrunner, I would honestly suggest waiting until Gateway was out and then stepping in. Then that rather neatly pushes it into that. So, yeah, we've mentioned you've mentioned Gateway a couple of times. Can you tell us a little bit about what that's about and sort of your plans for twenty twenty in general? Gateway. Uh is a pretty big undertaking. Basically, what it's supposed to be is a quality, well-designed, uh, and well-balanced set for standard and for the having a sort of holistic new player entry point. So anybody who's learned to play Netrunner from playing the core set knows that it's not exactly the most elegant way of teaching somebody how to play. Yeah. The core set... Um, 
the corset, the strategy of the corset seemed to be to introduce every single mechanic to the player all at once in almost a shouting match of new mechanics being screamed at you as you try to learn it, which anybody who's tried to teach someone Netrunner using the corset probably knows does not tend to go very well. Yeah. <laughs> it was traces that got me stuck. Yeah, traces are one of the ones I despise the most, in fact. It's very frustrating to teach, and I don't, you know, as an aside, I don't think they're a super interesting mechanic in a lot of ways. But regardless, uh, they're in the game. They're part of Netrunner. Gateway sort of uh, shoes all of these sort of additional periphery mechanics in favor of like sort of cleaner, more elegant designs that don't require additional comprehension outside of the sort of base game interactions. So where you might have a card in the core set or in other areas of Netrunner that say, trace three, do something, the gateway equivalent would say the runner pays three, uh, do something, or the corp pay, like the corp can avoid this by paying three or whatever. So this is sort of a way of taking something that was a mechanic, which had its own bolded word and entire rules meeting, and sort of boiling it down to a simpler expression of that same concept. So a lot of the content in Gateway is all about that, about finding those really awesome Netrunner moments without all the sort of peripheral mechanics and really just focusing on teaching very good basic Netrunner, ice and icebreakers, scoring out of a server, uh, multi-accessing, the sorts of things that Netrunner players are accustomed to in a more competitive sense, to try to boil that down into a really accessible package, essentially. Cool. So is that all going to be all new cards or sort of re rejigged cards that we have known and loved? Uh, Gateway will feature all new cards, with the exception of Sure Gamble and Hedge Fund, I believe. But Gateway itself will be uh, yeah, entirely new content uh, from Nisei. Wow. Fantastic. And beyond Gateway, what, what comes after that? We have a product uh, system update, and that is sort of taking the place of what the system core, as we called it, used to be. But it's basically a product that sort of revisits some of the greatest hits of Netrunner, cards that may have rotated or cards that we think are really valuable for the health of standard are sort of going to stay in that product. But that product's goal, you know, you can think about it this way. The core set was always battling with needing to be really good and interesting and exciting for expert players while also needing to be the starting point for new players. And those are just things that are sort of fundamentally at odds with each other. And hmm. splitting out update, uh, system update into its sort of own product ensures that we're going to like deliver on that sort of expert player card pool that makes standard so engaging and exciting and like playable for so many people uh, without needing to sort of be burdened by the need to be constantly accessible to new players. So Gateway is going to handle that aspect of being accessible and system updates going to sort of be our uh, product that's very focused on the health of standard and you know, including a lot of the sort of complex and interesting competitive cards that That's players. That's an like. excellent split in purposes. Cool. On a on a tiny note, if you could delay the system update slightly, I have a Leela deck that is so close to being incredibly degenerate, but just doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs> and I know Leela is probably going to rotate, so uh, <laughs> if you could give me some time just to make that deck absolutely horrible, then that would be excellent. 
don't know, it sounds like we should step that up a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> Updates out tomorrow. Let's, let's get rid of Leela. Leela was one of the first decks I, ser- I took very seriously based on some of David Hoyland's uh, work yeah. with Leela. He did some horrendous things with those decks back in the day. We mentioned rotation a couple of times. So rotation is basically older cards leaving the pool for standard play. Is that right? Yeah. So um, for people who aren't familiar with it, the basic idea is just that as content in a game grows and grows and grows and grows, the sort of design overhead and player overhead of sort of like maintaining that card pool becomes pretty massive. So you can imagine a game that's 10 years old. It's had new content releases two or three times a year you end up with a lot of content. A really good analogy analogy to this is like MMORPGs, uh, video games, where you have content from five or six years ago in a game like World of Warcraft, and that content's just sort of irrelevant, but just in the game, existing in its own weird space where nobody interacts with it anymore because it's not relevant. So rotation sort of allows us to keep a focus on sort of new and exciting and engaging things without the need to constantly maintain and you know assure like have those like old cards be constantly viable or not interacting with new things we want to do in unforeseen ways so it it cleans up the sort of design and development pipeline really nicely it gives newer players to the game you know an ability to not have to buy 10 years of cards to enjoy a game of standard and also just sort of uh keeps the sort of newness of every release more fresh so that those would be like the purposes for a rotation in a card game yeah it makes that design space a little easier to handle and and sort of think about yeah yeah cool obviously right now organized play isn't really a thing worldwide for reasons we're all i'm sure aware of but what what sort of support has nisa been giving to sort of organized play because that that was always a big thing was like sort of promo cards and mats and that kind of thing that fancy flight would put out has nisa been following in those footsteps so yeah, I mean, one of our uh, starting things that Austin wanted to do when they were made OP manager was to basically carry on with what everyone was used to, which meant quarterly game night kits, store champs, regionals, nationals, and worlds, and then with continentals in as well. So yeah, I mean, obviously this year has been a little bit, we've had to cancel regionals, but um, everything else is you know, still going at the moment and hopefully we can get these up a bit so we can do nationals later on this year, but obviously that's still up in the air. But yeah, cards, playmats, uh, bringing playmats back into GNKs was um, something that surprised <laughs> a lot of people because yeah. something that FFG used to do, but then stopped. And and that's the, like that's where most new players get their first playmats from. And everyone remembers their first play yeah. mat that they've won. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, indeed. I think I've still got mine lying around somewhere. Yeah, mine is currently up on my wall in front of my desk because it got so old and tatty after it came back from the Magnum Opus event. I'd got lots of people to sign it, so I framed it and hung it up. Oh, nice. Wow. That's a lovely, lovely reminder of the game. What What, what was the Magnum Opus event? That was the last FFG Worlds, the 2018 one. Right. Oh, yes, I remember now. Yes, yeah, the only worlds I've attended uh, that FFG ran, and uh, I just I came back going, why did I not go last year? <laughs> why did I not go to this before? Yeah. So uh, you mentioned, the sort of, you've also mentioned cancellations and that kind of thing. So what, what other challenges has 
the current situation, the COVID crisis brought to Project Nisse? Has it delayed a lot of stuff? Are you struggling to sort of get keep the community together or is everything sort of on, on track? So we've switched to running a lot of events online and there are some changes coming to Jinteki.net, which for those that don't know is the online play platform. To, to make running event large events on that easier, we ran the Black Lives Matter tournament two weeks ago with 113 players and that was a little bit stressful because uh, we everyone thought that Jinteki was going to just give up the ghost <laughs> in the middle of round one <laughs> and it, it was kind of hard to organize that many people but the, the developers at Jinteki are absolutely amazing and have taken on our suggestions and just run with them so that's that's made life a little bit easier but yeah the, the loss of in-person store champs was, was particularly bitter to me as i said it's like my favorite time of the year yeah but you know like i'm still going to run mine when we can do them in person again austin's removed the time limit from store champs so even if it's like december <laughs> we're all allowed to meet in a game shop again that's when i'll be running my two events because i'm not missing out on the in-person stuff yeah it, it's caused a bit of an issue with delivery as well because we we had some problems with stuff getting into Spanish customs because it arrived at the same time as um, lockdown happened. Oh. So, so we've only just had the delivery of the the play mats and cards for the store champ kits, and it's what it was June when they turned up. So wow, yep. Spanish customs never deal with Spanish customs. <laughs> <laughs> I'll try to avoid it. Uh. Yeah. Sorry, Johnny, you were going to say something. Yeah, I mean, I'll also add to that, you know, it's a really tough time for everybody, at least everybody I know, and a lot of people in the USA, including myself, just between the sort of uh, political landscape of various countries, the crisis with uh, the global pandemic, and also, you know, the Black Lives Matter movement, bringing up a lot of, you know, rightly bringing up a lot of national issues within America. It's, I think, tough to stay motivated sometimes, you know? As someone like I'm someone who is a relatively upbeat person who tends, tends to stay quite positive. But I mean, you know, even for myself, I've been struggling, you know, to stay motivated given just how much uncertainty there is in the world. So, you know, in, that's definitely felt within Nisei. But fortunately, people in Nisei are, do talk about and either vent or have discussions about these things. And I think Nisei as an organization overall, you know, is quite open uh, and you know quite progressive so that sort of these kinds of discussions are had uh, you know like respectful good ways within Nisei as well and there's a lot of support within Nisei so it's you know it's obviously quite stressful like the global situation in all of its ways but uh, yeah I think Nisei is very supportive internally of people who are struggling with it or at least to the best of our ability yeah we're very much like a family in in that regard we have we have several of our own like internal channels for like, we have a venting one we have a one for positive news for people to spread a bit of cheer that's going on in their lives we like, we just generally like support and look after each other as much as we can great to that's hear genuinely excellent to hear yep so on to the next question so android's netrunner has always had a very diverse cast of characters being set in a world that's essentially completely mixed race um, and was very praised for its representation of races sexualities and genders it, it has been absolutely fantastic to see nisei continue this diversity 
Have you found any challenges in doing this, or has it largely been just continuation and smooth sailing? So, it, I mean, it's a complex question. The, the short answer is we've done it to the best of our ability. Uh, so uh, the diversity of the existing Android universe is one of the big draws to the game for many people and like me say members alike. Uh, one of the first things that was ever discussed with the initial designs we go was how we wanted to not only maintain that diversity but continue to expand on it as much as we could. The community is full of racial, gender and sexual minorities that often don't get to see themselves as the protagonists in a large portion of fiction. So we kind of wanted to try and fix that as much as we can. It's one of the things that um, personally I heard Damon talk about several times before and in fact he touched on again in the during the lunch break of the Black Lives Matter event. So the world of Android law book released by FFG was quite expansive but a little bit Eurocentric and colonialist in some aspects and one of our creative team's biggest goals was to expand on areas that past material didn't really touch on and do it in as much a respectful manner as possible. One of the earliest uh, Examples of this for us was Lat, who was in Downfall. South Asia only had about half a page of material on Worlds of Android for the entire region, with zero characters from it at all. So we wanted to make him an interesting character whose personality was reflected in his cards, but also showcase some of the cultural aspects of Malaysia, where, where he's from. So with that in mind, uh, Calvin Wong, who's one of our writers and is from Malaysia himself, fleshed out Lat's story uh, and brought some good representation of that culture in we did very similar with with as who is a, a trans man but is comfortable presenting more traditionally feminine because a lot of trans folk are expected to present hard in in the direction of their gender and you know cis people aren't so we wanted to show a, a, a trans person who was just being themselves like it wasn't involved in the story you get a lot of i mean you get this with a lot of lgbt characters from across the board like the, the bury your gaze trope like you can't have a gay person in a story unless they are either the villain or they die <laughs> so <laughs> we wanted to we wanted to make sure that like that was not something that that we did and that we're being as inclusive and respectful as we can personally i'm still banging the drum of getting a trans woman character because we still don't have one <laughs> i'd like to see a character that <laughs> yeah, fit um... me if if she was some like yeah if she was also a goth that would just be perfect i <laughs> <laughs> understand i can't have everything i found a lot when i when i was playing when i was attending tournaments despite the diverse representation in the art which was always fantastic i found that the organized play was still very much basically white cis men white straight cis men do you know how diverse your player base is at the moment and has project nisei been trying to do anything to actively encourage a more diverse group of players actually attending tournaments and organized play that is uh, an interesting question there was a survey done just before nisei started actually by somebody in the community who was just basically curious as to, to what the makeup was and the, the results were basically the proportion of certainly LGBT people who are involved in the Netrunner community was higher than there is in 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 the rest in the world itself. So obviously on that front, we're we're doing quite well. Great. I think 
there are a lot of women and non-white people are kind of put off by the walking into the game shop and as you say cis white het guys all over the shop but that's one of the reasons why we, we're not insisting that things at places are or events are tied to game stores all right so uh, people can run events wherever they like they don't have to well, I guess because it's not really supporting the local game store because there's no sort of product out there for the game store to to sell. So pe- people are running sort of tournaments all over the place, are they? Yeah. So I mean, I I run mine in my local game stores because I like basically I like the people that run them. They're nice yeah. people, and me hiring some seats from them for an event puts a bit of money in their pocket and keeps the game going. But I also know that there are several store champs or that we call them store champs they're not particularly stores that are either run in pubs or village halls or or stuff like that yeah so buy the kit run the event wherever you like fair enough yeah i remember (laughs) most of the edinburgh ones were run in a hotel if i remember rightly i think they still are yeah this is i've been to a a fair few that are, are run in a hotel which is great that we can get the turnout up enough to to warrant that while it's the number of women in the game is not as high as I would like, it still seems to be higher than most of the other games I've seen. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, that's good. So I'd, I'd, I'd like us to improve it, but I also have to accept the fact that Netrunner itself does have more women and non-binary players than, than most others, so we must be something must be being done right. Yeah, I think, um, you know, as someone who I think just spent a lot of my life unaware of social issues due to privileges i may have and it wasn't until really until netrunner where i saw sort of face to face the effects of inclusivity inclusivity and like diversity on the actual cards themselves i was teaching my partner to play the game and we played you know a little bit and then she asked me oh can i see the other runner cards in the game and i was like oh sure yeah so i pulled up the netrunner db page with all of them on it and she sort of looked over them and she's like, oh, who's that lady? I want to play as her. She looks sassy. She was pointing to Andromeda. Uh, um, and, I mean, she's not wrong. <laughs> yep. yeah. um, but I just sort of remember that. And a lot of games, when you would pull up an equivalent card list, you would mostly just see a lot of cisgender, straight, white men. So maybe some people of color, but for the most part, just very obvious sort of, uh, you know, like I guess, like unfortunately, standard lack of diversion or diversity. Yeah. So, you know, just seeing that moment with my partner of her getting excited to play the game precisely because there were people in the game that she felt represented by and she was excited to play as, um, more or less changed my opinion on the matter overnight. And not that I really had an opinion on the matter; I had like a lack of opinion, I think, uh, at the time. Sure. So, you know, but that. It really does make an impact when you try to share something you love with people and they're represented in it. Yeah, it's one of the things I I play a lot of the Arkham Horror LCG and it's uh, one of the things I, I like that Fancy Flight have continued that push for diversity. A lot of the investigator pool is very diverse, both, both in sort of gender and color and sexuality. And it, that it's really good to see a big company like Fancy Flight Games pushing that diversity and their art style and, and stories and that kind of thing. And it's great to see you folks continuing that with Nisei. Uh, before we sort of wrap up this cast, a little bit from each of you on sort of your hopes for the future of Netrunner. If if the game got picked up again by a big company, would that be good? Would you be sad to not be involved anymore? 
Uh, what, what, do you, what do you hope happens for the game in the next sort of two, three years? Uh, my big hope is that I win the lottery and can pay <laughs> these people that are putting their time in to, to do this as a job. Yeah. I really don't want the game to get picked up again because, as you say, FFG were very good at this, the, the diversity part, but not a lot of gaming companies are, or not enough gaming companies yeah, are. So odds are we would lose that if it was picked up by another company uh, as well. Uh, it wouldn't have the Android background, so therefore, unless they'd licensed it from FFG, so it would probably involve a refresh of the card pool, which uh, I think we would lose a lot of players from. And on a purely selfish front, they're my friends. I like to get an opportunity to see them as often as I can. So, I, I mean, I hope three, four years' time, we are, by that point, we will have dashes would be out. Yeah. So the, the in-joke uh, is that uh, our sets are labelled Ashes, Bashes, Cashes and Dashes, etc. <laughs> so, <laughs> nice. So, um, so, yeah, my hope is that uh, Dashes is out. Worlds is running fine. We've, we've picked up where, we, where the, we left off after the coronavirus caused us all to be grounded. And... Um, and that the game and the community are as happy and as healthy as, as they have been recently. For yourself, Johnny? Yeah, I mean, all of that for sure. I'm just excited for more stuff, like us to make more things and for people to see the things and keep loving and seeing Netrunner things because Netrunner is just the best game. So on that level, I'm always just excited and hopeful for the future because I think as, you know, you know, there have been you know, things that happen within Nisei with like delays or even burnout occasionally with some people who need to take a break from doing, you know, a full-time job on top of a part-time job, which is volunteering at Nisei a lot of the time. And we learn a lot from that process all the time. And I, I always say to people that this is the first time that this has happened. I can't think of another unpaid voluntary workforce creating professional quality work on the design side, on the art side, development, everything. It's very, like everyone seeing Ashes would agree, it's very high quality work. So, you know, in many ways, what Nisei is doing is being done for the first time. So we're always learning and growing with each other and, you know, figuring out what works best for our like particular unique organization. So I'm really excited with Nisei as we get even better at what we do, you know, that we can, you know, we could, Getting better at what we do means the game gets better for everybody as well. So I'm very excited about that, just the the team growing and learning. And I'll, and I'll also say that, you know, like I mentioned earlier, I would be pretty sad if someone, a company bought Nisei again, because I can fairly confidently say that companies, uh, especially game companies, they don't really have the best interest of the game at heart, in my opinion. Their interests are making money. Um, they make games to make money. Yeah. FFG makes games, and some of them are quite good games, and they do it to make money. Nisei does not make Netrunner to make money. We make Netrunner because we believe it's the greatest game of all time, and we love it, and we want to play it forever. Cool. Can't ask for better motivation than that. No, That's indeed. Brilliant. Now you've, you've both come across as incredibly enthusiastic about the game. I'll definitely be checking out System Gateway and Core, uh, not Core, sorry, Update, when it comes out later this year. We'll try and play a bit with Mr. Shantler online at some point as well. Absolutely. You mentioned Calvin earlier. Me, Calvin, and a few other people have been running just a tiny wee league between us of literally System Core 2019 plus Ashes and Downfall. And as a self-contained card set, that's that's just great. It's just a lovely wee thing to do. 
That sounds wonderful. Yeah, it's been great, actually. Um, except for Joey, who runs a really degenerate deck of NBN <laughs> and Bologna, and I can never steal a single agenda because I don't have enough money. There's always one. Yeah. Every every tournament, there's always one person with a degenerate deck. If it's not you, yeah. you're in trouble. You just have to get, into, yeah. get there first. Yeah. Yeah, so... All that's left to say is thank you both so much for coming on the show. I had such a lovely time talking to you, and it is always fascinating to hear more about Netrunner and more about Project Missy. So, Johnny and Serenity, thank you so much both for coming on the show. Ah, thanks yeah, for having us. Yeah, really fun. Thanks. Yes, thank you both. And thank you very much for listening. As always, the best way to help us out is to share the cast and give us a review on Rating on iTunes. And you can find us in all the usual places, Twitter, Facebook, and our email address, triumphbrainuk at gmail.com. We'll put the links for all the Project Nisse stuff that's been mentioned in the show notes uh, so you can check it out for yourself. And if you ever want to hit us up for a game or two, just get in touch on Twitter or wherever we are. I'm sure we'll be happy to help out. Thanks very much. Goodbye. Goodbye.